the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome back to Young and Healthy. Thanks so much for joining us today for an incredibly special episode with Patty Manning Courtney, our current chief of staff. Thanks for being here, Patty. Oh, thank you. This is a a real treat. This episode is special because we learned a couple of months ago that Patty is retiring from Cincinnati Children's and from her lustrous career um, as a developmental pediatrician and one of our very favorite people. And so we wanted to take today as an opportunity to just have Patty on and talk a bit about what this has been like for you. Um, And I'd love to first start with kind of the origin story. How did you first come to Cincinnati Children's? Yeah, it is a story, isn't it? It's always a story. So I um, came up to Cincinnati from Texas to go to medical school up here because I was getting married and my husband's job was up here based in Cincinnati. And so we both ended up relocating from Texas and uh, in going to medical school here uh, and becoming interested in pediatrics. um, It was, uh, and needing to stay in Cincinnati, it was uh, incredibly convenient that Cincinnati Children's was such uh, a strong pediatric program with such a great reputation, even way back then in 1991 when I started residency. And um, I remember interviewing with Dr. Schubert, Dr. Bill Schubert. Um, He was the chair of the Department of Pediatrics at the time and overseeing the hospital as well. And he interviewed all the medical students who were interviewing. And he looked at me and said, "Um, wow, well, you're a bit of a no-brainer, aren't you? And I'd not ever heard that before. (laughs) It was the first time I ever heard the the turn of phrase no-brainer. And I thought, what's he talking about? But he was saying, I'm local. I went to med school here. I was I, I had rotated through Children's. I was a known entity, and, and uh, so it was a no-brainer that I was going to come here and do residency. Uh, and so I've I've been here ever since. Did you ever think, when you first arrived, that you'd be here through your retirement? I did not. I, I don't think anybody um, starts off their career and says, "I'm never leaving this place. I'm never going to go." And I think my husband and I thought we we would move at some point, but his job really kept him anchored here and. There was nothing um, that encouraged me to leave such a great organization. And as I gained an interest during residency in developmental pediatrics, as I really actually learned that that was a specialty, uh, once again, uh, fortuitously, there was this incredible program uh, that was affiliated with Cincinnati Children's at the time. It was called the Cincinnati Center for Developmental Disorders, or CCDD. And uh, I had always had an interest in children with disabilities, and now there was this way to to actually specialize in that uh, after residency, and there was a program here that where I could uh, get further training. And so, you know, I'm a big believer it was all really just meant to be. When we say developmental pediatrics, what does that kind of encompass? Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked this question because I think a lot of people don't know <laughs> what it means when somebody says that they're a developmental pediatrician or a developmental behavioral pediatrician. Uh, So what that encompasses, what that means is that after doing a pediatric residency of three years, somebody decides that they want to specialize further in the care and treatment and diagnosis of children with developmental disabilities. And that can range from things like ADHD, complex ADHD, learning disabilities, learning differences, language delay, to more complex disabilities, 
like autism spectrum disorder, intellectual disabilities, different genetic syndromes, including Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, spina bifida. Um, you know, about 5% of, of children will have some type of developmental disability, so they're actually quite common. Um, and uh, this field of developmental pediatrics just allows people to gain further training and expertise and help uh, both diagnose um, children with developmental disabilities and then provide ongoing care of all different types. And your area of expertise ended up being autism spectrum disorder. How did that come to be? Um, another, another great origin question story uh, involved question. So um, I had an interest in children with autism from a young age. I read books about children with autism. I, I can't explain why other than I know that for a very long time I wanted to be a special education teacher, and so I read stories and books about children with disabilities, but particularly children with autism. And, you know, giving away my age, this was in the, you know, 70s and uh, early, early 80s that, that I had this interest um, as, as a young student, as a high school student and an elementary student. Um, and then I, I sort of forgot about that for a little bit uh, during residency, and I was interested in some other things. I was interested in neonatology, really like taking care of babies in the NICU, and, uh, and I was interested in child neurology. I thought that that might be a way to be more exposed to something that I remembered I had an interest in. And then between my first and second year of residency, I worked at a camp for children with disabilities down in outside of San Antonio, Texas, and it was really a transformational experience. I got to um, sort of be a counselor at the camp as well as a camp physician and see children with disabilities in, um, you know, outside of the hospital setting, in, in the pool and at camp and at dances, and I have the most vivid memories of that experience, and, and that sort of sealed the deal for me. At the same time, as I referenced earlier, I was learning that there was a program at Cincinnati Children's, I think I'd actually learned this as a medical student, this, this center, the Cincinnati Center for Developmental Disorders. During my fellowship, um, actually, let me take one more step back. So uh, during different rotations during residency, some of which I had a hard time with, like, working in the emergency room. It was never um, a fun time for me because I, it just was a chaotic environment. People had to wait a long time, and that always bothered me. But I, if there was a child with autism in the emergency room, I would pick up that chart because I thought, I, I have that interest. I want to see this child, and I know how scary it is to be in the emergency room. So fast forward, I'm doing my fellowship at CCDD, and this is in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. Autism is still relatively uncommon, um, and I had the opportunity to work with a, another fellow, my co-fellow, and he was doing some research in autism spectrum disorders, and I was pulled into that and just had more exposure, saw um, a small number of children during my fellowship who were diagnosed with autism, and to me that really felt like the area where we knew the least. We had so little information about why and, um, and how to support and help children with autism. And so when I finished my fellowship, having expressed interest during my training in that, uh, I met with Dr. Boat, Dr. Tom Boat. At the time, he was our chair. And I was sort of making a pitch for me, having a faculty position here at Children's. And he said, would you be interested in starting a more comprehensive program for children with autism? To which I jumped and said, yes, absolutely. Now, in retrospect, I look back and go, I was way too young and inexperienced to be taking like something like that on. But, you know, a lot of a lot of people's stories start that way. And um, so, upon finishing fellowship, I, I was given that uh, opportunity to, to embark on starting a program. When you think back to those years and where care is now for patients who are on the autism spectrum, 
How has that changed? What has been like, how has being part of that been for you? It's, it's, I feel like I've been a participant in and a witness to just the most unbelievable transformation in recognition, diagnosis, care models, and information, you know, so the, the, the Kelly O'Leary Center for Autism Spectrum Disorders officially launched, I believe, in 1998. It's always a little bit fuzzy. Um, and uh, at that time, you know, it was a small program. And, you know, think about it. We didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all these tools for connecting families with support and information. We had some great local agencies that we partnered with, um, the Hamilton, what's now the Hamilton County um, uh, Developmental Disability Services and the Autism Society of Greater Cincinnati, which is now called Autism Connections. And so we leveraged those connections in the community to help share information. But, you know, in that time, autism became much more common, much more recognized. The prevalence of autism was studied and, and was much more uh, common than we thought it was and uh, research exploded and resources for families exploded and it's just when I see people today and when I um, even as recently as last week diagnose a child with autism probably my last patient that I'll newly diagnose with autism it's just a different world there's just so much more it's still scary and hard and overwhelming I'm sure for families but um, you know I had families who had never heard of autism back in the mid to late 90s who asked me how to spell autism when I diagnosed their child. That doesn't happen anymore. It, it's, it's well known, well appreciated and understood. When you reflect on those patients that you've met and their families, what do you think you'll remember most fondly? This is the question that, that might make me emotional. So. Um, when I think of the families and the patients that I've seen, the first thing I think of is how much I love them all. And um, I, I would tell my husband this when I would come home late on a Friday night from clinic, I would say sometimes to him, hey, if anything ever happens to me, make sure my patients know that I love them. Um, and when I talk to residents, when I would have residents rotating with me and a lot of them would say, oh my gosh, your patients are so nice. Your families are so nice. And I go, I know I have the best patients. I have the best families. And I would say, you know why? There's a secret. And they go, why? I'd say, it's because you have to love your patients. You, you re I really believe that. And I know we don't talk about, um, we don't talk about love in healthcare or in medicine a lot, but I really believe um, that part of that patient relationship over time, and that's the, the blessing that I've had with family, families and patients is to follow them over time, is that you have to have an attachment and a, and a real love and affection for them. And that's not to say that you always like everything <laughs> that everybody's doing, or, um, but we all know that you can have deep affection and love for things that, that, um, uh, that you get attached to over time. So that's the first thing I think of when I think of patients and families. And then the second thing I think of is how much they've taught me. Like, I have learned so much, not just about disability and autism and the trajectory of progress, um, but about life and leadership and um, so many things from patients and families. I am just unbelievably indebted to everybody that I've had the privilege of seeing and being part of their journey. And so part of, part of doing this podcast is actually just a way to say thank you and, and to express that you know, deep, deep feeling of, of love and affection for the people I've gotten to work with. I was looking through pictures of 
our most recent Cincinnati Walks for Kids, our walk fundraiser a couple of weekends ago, and there's a great picture of a family who has I Walk for Patty Manning on the back of their um, their number. Um, and do you know who those people were? I do. I do. I know them, and I saw them at the walk. And, I mean, that's just so unbelievably generous for people to say that. But, I, I you know, I walked for all of them. And, um, you know, to have that be reciprocal is, is unbelievable. So hopefully not as emotional a question. Um, <laughs> thinking about this place, about Cincinnati Children's, how has the organization changed in your time here? You know, that's that's such a, a, a benefit of being here a long time, right? Being here 30 years, you get to be somebody who says, I remember when the Rainbow Room was there and uh, when we had two South and three South. And um, so, yeah, the growth, it's just a much, much bigger place. Um, and some people, you know, will mourn the, the change and, the, and it's less quaint, um, but it's just it's an amazing powerhouse of a place. And I love, love, love being part of an organization that has grown um, and become so important and so influential in, in, in healthcare for children and uh, has transformed aspects of healthcare. I mean, the pride that comes with being from a place like this and, being, and seeing it through that journey um, is, is such a privilege. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's growth. It is um, research impact. It is being leaders um, in the world, really, that's happened during the time I've been here. So you've served in the role of chief of staff for the past three plus years. What has it meant to you to have that experience as kind of a capstone on your career? That is a capstone, isn't it? And, and uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it, it um, it's meant a lot. It was a very unexpected part of my journey, I will say. I didn't, uh, if somebody would have told me in 1991 or 94, you're gonna be the chief of staff, I probably first would have said, what's that? Um, and then I would have said, no, I'm not. But it's, it's meant, um, it's given me some opportunities, as, as crazy as these past three years have been, it's given me some opportunities that I'm so incredibly grateful for. Um, opportunities to lead and, and recognize some leadership skills that I, I wasn't sure I had or I didn't know how they would show up, um, to lead the organization during a really stressful, chaotic time and be part of a large team that helped us, you know, uh, weather this crazy storm of COVID. Um, and then I, I can't deny that, you know, being in a position of leadership in an organization this size as a developmental pediatrician and being able to bring visibility to that space that is first and foremost near and dear to my heart um, has been a, a real, uh, I've been really happy about that to kind of just bring visibility to my area of expertise while being, of clinical expertise while being um, in a leadership position. So uh, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done to, to be part of a leadership team uh, during this time. And because I'm certain plenty of people are where you would have been years ago with what is that? What is the role of chief of staff? Um, yeah, the chief of staff here at Children's Hospital, I think the role has really evolved and there have been some, I had some really amazing and important predecessors, starting with uh, Dr. Mike Farrell, who um, was my residency program director and then was chief of staff for, I don't know, decades and decades. And then uh, Dr. Derek Wheeler, who the role really expanded. I mean, the institution grew, so the role had to grow. And the role really um, is uh, the physician 
It's the physician face of the organization in one respect. That was something Michael Fisher told me and was a, an amazing thing to be able to represent this organization in the community, in the region. Um, but it's also the physician leader of the op clinical operations of the organization. And so um, the clinical operations, whether that's our outpatient clinics, our inpatient settings, our periop, our ED, our mental health space, our labs, radiology, um, there's tremendous operational structure, infrastructure to all those things. And in partnership with the chief nursing officer and now with a senior VP of operations, uh, the chief of staff really uh, is a member of that operational leadership team and helps oversee the medical staff uh, and how they operate within our system. We were so glad to have you as the face of the organization when we had so many opportunities over the last three years to do that. Um, it was, it's been a great three years with you at the helm. Thank you for all of those, all of those times. Um, what do you anticipate you'll miss most about Cincinnati Children's in the years to come? Uh oh, this one might get you again. It I'm might sorry. get me emotional again. No, but it's, um, I thought about this question ahead of time because I want to be organized <laughs> and there's so many things I'll miss. But, you know, I'll, of course I'll miss patients and families, but I, I, I believe that I'll have contact with patients and families still in my next chapter. I'm looking forward to that actually, to be connected in a way that is more social and less professional. Um, I will absolutely miss the colleagues that I've been able to work with here. And again, I'm sure we'll stay connected in different ways, but you know, that's what people say makes anything doable, right? The hardest work is doable when you have a great team. And I've had the opportunity to have tremendous teams, not just in my division in DDBP, and I love those teams, and I love those colleagues. Um, I love working in that field with them. I love the multidisciplinary care model that that is the bedrock of, of developmental pediatrics. Um, and then operationally here in my role as chief of staff and, and the associate chief of staff role that I had, that I love that, that, that those roles opened me up to so many other colleagues here at Children's and so many people who do such important work, and a lot of it is backstage work, whether it's folks in supply chain or in, in pharmacy or in clinical engineering, IS. Um, I'm going to leave out you know, some incredible partners, all the patient services partners that um, I've been able to work with. I'm going to miss that. Um, I'm going to miss the fun, you know, of working here and bringing fun to even stressful times. I'm going to really miss playing Name That Tune with a lot of you out there. It's one of my favorite things. I'm going to miss beating Steve Davis at Name, Name That Tune all the time because um, that always gave me great pleasure to beat him. But, uh, no, I'm going to miss the people the most. No, no question. Is there a piece of work that you've done or a project over the years that you feel most proud of? Yeah, yeah, I had to think about this one too because there's a couple, and, and I, have to, I have to think about some different buckets. So in, the, in my developmental world uh, as a developmental pediatrician, I'm really proud of the work that I was part of, of a big team to improve access. I, I think, and that certainly informed the way that I thought about access institutionally but it started in my field and, and the expectation that it's, oh, it's just a, you know, it's an over-demanded, under-supplied field and people are just gonna have to wait. It just made me crazy. And so I loved doing work around building clinical models that helped children get faster access with still really good high quality care. And I'm really grateful to the people who continue that work in that space. Super proud of building a, a diagnostic clinical model for young children 
um, that helped improve access as well. And in, in my chief of staff role, I'm really proud of the work during COVID. There's a lot of pieces during COVID, but probably the piece I'm most proud of is being able to be part of uh, the vaccine clinic work and partner with incredible heroes like Susan Wade Murphy and lead those vaccine clinics. And specifically the night in November of 21, um, when we vaccinated over 400 five to 11 year olds with, uh, for, against COVID with, when they became eligible for COVID vaccination. It was a crazy night. It was super busy. Um, I, I've never had an experience like that. And I'm, I'm so proud of being part of protecting and keeping people safe. We had one or two other things going on in the hospital that same night too, didn't we? We had, we did have a move into a new uh, critical care building that Saturday. Actually, the clinic, the, the, we actually timed the clinic because we knew that the move was on Saturday. So the first clinic for five to 11 year olds was on Wednesday night. And then we moved on that Saturday. It's like, a, I can go back in time. And that was another really big clinic. So yeah, it was crazy overlapping things going on. And then, you know, there's other things like I'm proud of leading, you know, helping lead during a big snowstorm and making sure operations continued and partnering with so many other important leaders here around that. Operation One Cincinnati Children's, when we had so many employees out with COVID and, you know, heroes like Nancy Gone and Dave Cryer led a huge effort with so many other people to, to match employees who wanted to help with areas of need. Oh my gosh, that was an overwhelming time and a, you know and we did it because that's what we do um, and then probably one other point of pride will be just advocating you know being able to advocate at the state level for different things whether it's mental health needs or um, you know the care of certain populations like our transgender population I'm super super proud of the opportunity to kind of represent um, what we stand for here what fun things do you have planned for your next chapter this is the, I get this question a lot now, which is a really fun question, right? So of course, um, we're gonna travel. My husband has been retired for five years. I tell everybody he gets the credit and the blame for this decision. It's not really blame, but he's been very patient and he has been my rock uh, for many years, not just these past three years. But um, so we're gonna travel. We're gonna go to the beach for a few weeks. We're gonna go to Italy and Spain um, and see my kids who are spread around in different places in California and uh, take time with family. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't share that I'm really excited about being able to do work in the adult disability space around adult employment, uh, adult day programming. There's such a need in that space and I'm, I'm so excited to partner in different places, None, you know, still TBD. Um, I'm helping advise a clinic across the street at UC, the Freeman Center for Adults with Disabilities. So. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Sounds like it's going to be a good hybrid of keeping one toe in what you've done for so long and having some fun along the way. Yes, ma'am. I love it. It's perfect. Do you have any final reflections or words of wisdom to share? Oh, my words of wisdom. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, this place has taught me so much about gratitude. You know, you can't walk through here without feeling um, grateful for the gifts in your life because you see families at such extreme times of stress. Um, and, and so there's this gratitude that comes from just recognizing 
you know, that your life is in a good place um, when you see families who are having to deal with what they're dealing with. But it's also gratitude for families that allow you to be part of their journey and be part of their lives when they're under such stress. I'm so appreciative of families who just let us be the people that help them through those times. Um, and so I think just a practice of gratitude and recognizing the things you're grateful for keeps, your, keeps you centered. Um, I guess those would be my words of wisdom. Don't, don't forget to be grateful, even on the toughest days, even on the worst COVID days, I, I would find something to be grateful for um, because it's, it's your fuel. And I guess my other words of wisdom would be like, don't forget to thank the people around you or just tell them what a good job they're doing. So many of you out there would thank, would send a little note of, grat of appreciation and it was my juice, it was my fuel, it was my gasoline <laughs> and, and I, try to remember to do that for others fill other people's buckets it just it's so easy and it fills your bucket too thank you for taking this time with us today and for sharing so much i have enjoyed every moment of working with you over the last several years and the number of times that you've been on the podcast helping us through covid um it was just really fun to do something a little bit different today so we are grateful for you and wish you all the best. Please don't be a stranger. And with that, we'll sign off and say thank you. You've been listening to Young and Healthy. We'll see you next time. This episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on May 2nd, 2023. The content of Young and Healthy is for informational and educational purposes only. This episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris, and our music was created by Stephen Greco. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.